What does it mean to be truly strong? Does it mean you've got bigger muscles than other people? Does it mean you never crack under pressure? Does it mean you always get your own way? Or does it mean something else? Does it mean you're willing to sacrifice for the sake of others? The passage we're going to look at this morning is addressed to men and women who believe they are strong. And the Apostle Paul is not going to argue with them. But he is going to say, if you truly are strong, here's how you must show your strength. So turn with me to Romans chapter 14. If you're using a church Bible, that's page 1141, or in the large print, 1764. And as you're turning there, let me remind you, Paul is writing to the church in Rome. He's showing the believers there in these chapters how they are to love one another. And last week, he spoke about the weak and the strong in the church. Remember, he is talking to Christians, men and women from different backgrounds who've put their trust in Jesus and his work on the cross. He's talking to men and women who know they can't please God by themselves, but they have come to understand that Jesus pleased God on their behalf. When he surrendered to death on a cross, he took God's wrath against sin. He took it on himself. And all who trust in Jesus' work find that God's wrath has been turned away from them. Instead of God's wrath, they experience God's smile of acceptance. All because of Jesus. So as far as acceptance with God is concerned, all the Christians in Rome stand in the same place. They are all forgiven through faith in Christ. How can Paul say then that some of them are weak and some are strong? Well, he means some of them are strong in working out the implications of their new life in Christ. And others are weak in doing that. Within the church, genuine Christians disagree about what Paul calls disputable matters. And he gave us some examples of disputable matters. Things that were hot issues within the church in Rome. We saw last week some of the believers realized there are no particular rules about what we eat and drink. All food is clean. And there are no particular rules about days of the week either. Those are matters of personal freedom. And Paul says those believers are correct. He calls them strong. And he calls the other believers weak. The weak had scruples in those particular areas. They felt they ought to avoid certain food. They thought they ought to treat certain days as more special than others. Paul himself disagrees with those believers. But we saw that his purpose here 
is not to sort out the weak. He is not trying in these chapters to put them right. His purpose is to show the weak and the strong how to love one another. They're not to treat one another with contempt. They're not to judge one another. And as we pick up this morning, we find Paul speaking particularly to those who think they're the strong ones. They believe they've got a handle on these disputable matters. They know the right answers. So we're going to pick up and read in Romans chapter 14, verse 13, and we'll read through to chapter 15, verse 6. Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in the way of a brother or sister. I am convinced, being fully persuaded in the Lord Jesus, that nothing is unclean in itself. But if anyone regards something as unclean, then for that person it is unclean. If your brother or sister is distressed because of what you eat, you are no longer acting in love. Do not, by your eating, destroy someone for whom Christ died. Therefore, do not let what you know is good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and receives human approval. Let us, therefore, make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All food is clean, but it is wrong for a person to eat anything that causes someone else to stumble. It is better not to eat meat or drink wine or to do anything else that will cause your brother or sister to fall. So, whatever you believe about these things, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who does not condemn himself by what he approves, but... Whoever has doubts is condemned if they eat, because their eating is not from faith, and everything that does not come from faith is sin. We who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak, and not to please ourselves. Each of us should please our neighbors for their good, to build them up. For even Christ did not please himself. But as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us, so that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had, so that with one mind, And one voice, you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is God's word. Paul says, if you're strong, if you've got the biblical knowledge to be right on disputable matters, 
if you have got the wisdom to see what are genuine issues for the day-to-day life of Christians and what are really non-issues, like what you eat. If you're one of those strong Christians, let me talk to you about how you use that strength. First of all, consider your brothers and sisters. In the middle of chapter 14, verse 13, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in the way of a brother or sister. Last week, we heard about not judging those who disagree with us on disputable matters. And now, Paul introduces something else. Not only are we not to judge them, but when we think about how we are going to live, we are to consider them. They are to be a factor in the decisions we make. There's actually a play on words here. Literally, verse 13 says, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make this judgment, that you won't put a stumbling block in the way of a brother or a sister. In other words, far from being their judge, be their protector. See how Paul has moved the focus. The focus is no longer on whether you're right and they're wrong. We're focusing now on how you can avoid doing damage to them. How might that happen? How could your strength damage others? Well, Paul gives us an example. The background to the example he gives is the Lord's Supper. Today, we celebrate the Lord's Supper by sharing a token piece of bread and just a sip of wine. But these early believers ate a full-scale meal together. And then they concluded that meal with the symbolic bread and cup. So these people were regularly eating together. And what that means is, if you believed it was fine to eat meat and drink wine, and you exercised that freedom you had, then your weaker brothers and sisters would see you doing it. And remember, they still have scruples about meat and wine. They still don't feel right about taking them. They're worried probably that the meat wouldn't have been slaughtered according to Old Testament regulations. And they know that probably both the meat and the wine would have been offered to idols before they were then sold in the market. The consciences of these brothers and sisters are just uneasy about touching stuff like that. They feel more comfortable sticking to vegetables and water. I suppose all of you are sitting around the table and you crack out your steak and chardonnay. Those other believers might react in one of two ways. They might pass judgment on you. But remember, Paul has warned them not to do that. And so they are more likely to start thinking, well, if it's okay for him, maybe I am just a stick in the mud. It doesn't seem right. It doesn't feel right. 
But maybe I ought to just give in and do it. Everybody else is. What's the problem with that? If what you are doing is right, what's the problem with them joining in? The problem is that brother or sister has not studied Scripture and become fully convinced in their own mind about the meat and the wine. That would be a legitimate reason for them to join you. But that's not what has happened. They're not joining in because they feel comfortable. They're doing it because they feel like they odd one out. The word Paul uses is distressed. They have been pressured into going against their conscience. And as Martin Luther said, to go against conscience is neither right nor safe. Look how Paul puts it in verse 14. I am convinced, being fully persuaded in the Lord Jesus, that nothing is unclean in itself. But if anyone regards something as unclean, then for that person it is unclean. If your brother or sister is distressed because of what you eat, you are no longer acting in love. Do not, by your eating, destroy someone for whom Christ died. How could your eating destroy a brother or sister? It might destroy them because when they override their conscience, they are making their conscience blunt. If they override it on the matter of food and drink, why not override it in other areas that they don't feel comfortable with? Areas where actually their conscience is in line with what God's Word says. Areas where overriding their conscience is going to lead them into actual sin. So they may decide, for example, if it's okay to eat food that's been offered at pagan temples, what's wrong with calling in on a temple prostitute as well? Each of us is to work to educate our consciences through God's word. But in the meantime, we must not trample over our conscience. And if we think we are strong, we mustn't entice others to trample their consciences. If we do, we are not loving them. And we may even destroy them. So how might this apply in our situation? Well, the point here is this. When it comes to disputable matters, it's not enough for you to study Scripture, find the right answer, and then go and live it out. Paul says, no, as you decide how to live it out, you must consider your brothers and sisters. And the example of alcohol does cross over to our situation. It's one thing to come to a particular conviction about alcohol, but we are not to stop there. We are to decide on our behavior based on our conviction plus consideration for our brothers and sisters. Make up your mind 
not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in the way of a brother or sister. And I need to be clear, I'm not telling you what to do. God's word is telling all of us what to consider when we decide what to do. Let's think about another example. The gift of tongues. Now the Holy Spirit has not given me the gift of tongues. But I believe he does still give some people that gift. And yet I've seen situations where those who claim to have that gift put pressure on those around them. And people end up faking tongues just to fit in. Imagine what spiritual damage that does to people. When deep down, they know they are faking the Spirit's work in their lives. Once you've taken that step, why not fake other things as well? Like purity and obedience. In situations like that, the strong person is using something good in a destructive way. Far better to keep quiet about their gift than turn it into a stumbling block for others. Or what about the truth of God's sovereignty? The Bible teaches it, and in this church we preach it without any embarrassment. It's a beautiful truth. And when we grasp the Bible's teaching on it, it's a wonderful source of assurance and confidence for us as Christians. But as we discuss and share that truth, let's consider our brothers and sisters. Let's realize the doctrine you might love may be a new concept for some of your brothers and sisters. They may have even been brought up to be very suspicious of words like election and predestination. Those ideas might cause them agonized thoughts as they think about unsaved family members and other painful events in their lives. What I'm saying is let's not swing the truth of God's sovereignty around like a baseball bat. Let's be sensitive to brothers and sisters who are thinking through what the Bible says, who are wrestling with questions and suspicions about it. Let's be gentle. Let's give them some breathing space as they pray this through for themselves. Even as you and I might cherish this wonderful truth, let's realize for many people it's a very difficult truth. Let's not use it like a blunt instrument. If we do, we may destroy someone for whom Christ died. We may unintentionally give the impression our God is cold and harsh. As Paul puts it in verse 16, 
we may end up causing what we know is good to be spoken of as evil. Because we've not acted with consideration for our brothers and sisters. Paul goes on. If you're strong, consider God's kingdom. Look at verse 17. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. God's kingdom means God's rule. And how does God's rule spread in this world? How does his kingdom spread? It spreads as men and women put their trust in Jesus. And what is it that encourages them to do that? It's the message we share and the lives we live. Lives that back up the message. And Paul's point is, that is what is central for us. Sharing the gospel and living out the gospel. When we do that, we're putting God's kingdom first. We are not putting his kingdom first if we insist on winning every argument and battering others with our views on disputable matters. Now, we saw last week disputable matters are important. We need to try and get them right. We want to get baptism right. We want to get spiritual gifts right. And the Lord's return right. And music right. But while those matters are all important, they are not central to God's kingdom. How do we know that? Because in verse 17, Paul tells us what things are central. Righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. What does he mean? Well, if you are in Christ, then through faith in Jesus' work, you have righteousness in God's sight. You have peace with God. You have an unshakable source of joy. And all of these things are yours in the Holy Spirit. Your righteousness, peace, and joy depend on Jesus. They do not depend on whether you've got all your views right on disputable matters. And so then, relating to your brothers and sisters with righteousness, peace, and joy, well, that shouldn't depend on them being right on disputable matters. Verse 19. Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace, and to mutual edification. Mutual edification just means building one another up. Doing what benefits the church body and strengthens the church body. Now Paul is not saying you mustn't talk about your disagreements. Maybe some of you have been in work situations where people tell you Just never mention politics. 
That is not what Paul's saying. He's not telling us disputable matters are off limits. He talks about plenty of them throughout the New Testament. What Paul is saying is when you discuss those things, make sure you do so in a way that leads to peace in the local fellowship. Do so in a way that builds the fellowship up so the fellowship is better able to serve God's kingdom. Don't deal with your differences in a way that destroys the work of God. Because brothers and sisters are at war with each other. Don't get so focused on your pet issue that the righteousness, peace, and joy of God's kingdom are nowhere to be seen anymore. And unfortunately, some of you have seen this very thing happen. You've seen and maybe you've lived through situations where one part of a local fellowship harshly and doggedly insists on their view with total disregard for the unity of the body. And they might even be right on that view. But they insist on it in a way that splits the fellowship apart. Paul is is telling us that when that happens, the strong might win the argument, but the kingdom of God loses. And we need to be very clear, there are times when churches have to split because some sinful behavior or some false doctrine has already destroyed their fellowship in Christ. If people, for example, deny the resurrection or the divinity of Christ or salvation by faith alone or the trustworthiness of Scripture, if they deny what the, that what the Bible calls sin really is sin, then there can be no true fellowship in that church. The Holy Spirit isn't going to bring righteousness, peace, and joy into that situation. Where the Holy Spirit's own clear teaching is being disregarded. But remember, we're dealing here with disputable matters. Matters where there is a right biblical answer, but they are not core matters. Christians can get them wrong and still be Christians. Paul says, even if you have the right view on some disputable matter, if you insist on it to the destruction of Christian fellowship, then you are wrong. Look how he puts it, using again the example that was a hot issue in Rome, down in verse 20. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All food is clean, but it is wrong for a person to eat anything that causes someone else to stumble. It is better not to eat meat or drink wine or to do anything else that will cause your brother or sister to fall. So whatever you believe about these things, Keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who does not condemn himself by what he approves. But whoever has doubts is condemned if they eat, 
because their eating is not from faith. And everything that does not come from faith is sin. We've seen what Paul means by causing a brother or sister to stumble or fall. It happens when we try to win people to our view by pressuring them to go along with us before they've been convinced in their own heart. And here the message is you might be spot on when it comes to music, for example, or which Bible translation is best, or whether Christians should let Santa come down their chimney. You might be right on all those issues. But maybe for the sake of God's work and God's kingdom, just go easy on that hobby horse of yours. Is it worth losing fellowship with a brother or sister over those matters? Yes, they're matters that we need to think about. Paul says we don't want to condemn ourselves by what we approve. In other words, we don't want to hold any view that's wrong. We want to get secondary matters right, as well as primary matters. Secondary matters are important, but are they important enough to destroy fellowship over? Is God's kingdom really going to suffer if that family gets it wrong about Santa? Are you willing to sacrifice peace in the fellowship for issues like that? So by all means, share your views on everything. Discuss, sit down together with your Bibles. But do it gently. If you don't get agreement, take your foot off the pedal a bit. Don't forget to share righteousness, peace, and joy with that brother or sister in Christ. Don't begin to think of them as your enemy. And finally, Paul says, if you're strong, consider Christ's love. Chapter 15, verse 1. We who are strong ought to bear with the feelings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Each of us should please our neighbors for their good, to build them up. For even Christ did not please himself. But as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. Verse 1 says, literally, the strong ought to carry the weaknesses of those who are without strength. So the sense is we're not simply to put up with them. We're to try and see things from their perspective. Walk a mile or two in their shoes. One writer says, you never know the terrain someone else has walked to come and worship the Lord. In other words, maybe you see a brother or sister who's being resistant to something that seems so obvious to you. You may begin to see them as intentionally difficult. Why don't they just accept this obvious point? Why can't they just get their act together? 
But if you stop and learn a bit about that person, you may begin to see why they think differently. They may still be wrong. But you might be more able to understand them and love them. They might not be where you think they should be in their understanding and in in their life. But God may have brought them a long way from where they used to be. You never know the terrain someone else has walked to come and worship the Lord. And in verse 2, each of us, weak or strong, is to build up our brothers and sisters. Never to demolish them or crush them. Sometimes it feels good to demolish. If you work in demolition, it must be very satisfying to get to push that button and see a high-rise building just disintegrate in a cloud of dust. And when it comes to our relationships, we can get a moment of satisfaction from winning an argument or cutting someone down with a choice phrase or two. Demolishing is certainly a lot easier than building up. But building up must be what we are about. Our aim must be to please our neighbors for their good. And notice Paul doesn't say we are to make them happy at all costs. He says we're to work for their good, to build them up. So we're not being called to always affirm others. But we are being called to self-sacrificing love. Love that builds up. How do we learn how to do that? How do we find the strength to do it? We have to look to Jesus Christ. Verse 3. For even Christ did not please himself. But as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. That's a quotation from the Psalms. And Paul says it was written to teach us about Jesus. Someone has said Jesus had greater right than anyone to please himself. And he had all the power that was needed to please himself. But on the cross, he carried the weaknesses of those who are without strength. That's you and me. He came for us in our rebellion against God. On the cross, he soaked up our insults and hatred against God. So we could be forgiven. So we could live in the hope of the glory of God. And so before we can follow Christ's example, we have to accept him as our savior. And when we admit our weakness and our need for grace, then we're ready to give grace to our brothers and sisters. And so here at the end of our passage, Paul prays for us. 
He prays that we would all treat one another as Christ has treated us. Not ignoring weakness, but working for the good of those who are weak. Being willing to patiently carry the weaknesses of others as they are seeking to follow Jesus. Look how he puts it in verse 5. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had, so that with one mind and one voice you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. When we're a church like that, we're showing true strength. We are loving one another as Christ has loved us. We're going to remember his great love as we sing together, Man of Sorrows. What a name.